Well, my calendar says it's December. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Isn't it awesome? I mean, after this year, can you just respond to that? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes. And happy holidays too. That's fine. But Merry Christmas. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, Luke chapter 2. As Jose said, my name is Steve Marshman, and he asked me to come take this week. We're in a four-week series, Advent series, on uh, the four traditional topics, hope, peace, joy, and love. And last week, Jose said that Advent means arrival. So obviously, the celebration is the arrival of Jesus. And we've already sung, come, let us adore him, Christ be magnified, great are you, Lord. But before we get into the text today, there's another birth announcement I want to tell you about. I actually thought it would happen by now, but my daughter's three days overdue. Uh, she was due on December 1st. The baby hasn't come yet. But sometime this week, by the power of inducement, <laughs> Michael Stephen Juicy VI will be born. Yeah, I'm calling him M6 because... M543 are still around and alive, and it's going to get a confusing. But I'm blessed with the large family. With Michael the sixth, M6, there's going to be 14 stockings on our fireplace this year. Oh, my goodness. It's so, it's so much joy. And of those 14 stockings, six of them are my wife, Vicki, and I's grandkids. And when the sixth one's born, the oldest one will be five and a half. So pray for our Christmas. <laughs> We have the best Christmas tree ever this year. It's nothing special about the tree. It's about seven feet tall. But we let the grandkids uh, put the ornaments up. And every time I walk by, I smile because there's no ornaments on the top. They're all on the bottom. <laughs> it's the most hilarious looking Christmas tree. And I love it. Well, today we're going to look at a birth announcement of baby Jesus, as my grandkids like to say. Baby Jesus, Luke chapter 2, and you know the backstory. We always give you the context of Scripture when we preach out of Scripture. We give you the backstory because the backstory, the context is so important. But you guys know it, right? Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That's quite a story. Mary's Joseph. They traveled to Bethlehem, and the baby's born in the manger. We all know this backstory. But let's read the story in Luke chapter 2, picking up in verse 8. And it's the birth announcement. It's a birth announcement. So I, I, I every time I read this, I, I smell cinnamon rolls because <laughs> that's our tradition at our house at Christmas. We all gather around and good coffee, that's important. Or if you're a tea drinker, everybody needs to grow. Um, so good coffee, good cinnamon rolls, and we read the story. And this is kind of the end of it. Luke 2, verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into 
heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they did, and that was where the Christmas story continues. Well, in the NIV, this phrase, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests, is translated peace on earth to those whom God is pleased in the other translations. But you might know this from a different old school type of phrasing that you see on signs. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Who's seen that anywhere? Everybody has. And it kind of sounds old because it is older. It's actually out of the King James Bible. Luke 2.14 in the King James Bible says, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. But by the way, men there, ladies, men means mankind. King Jimmy wasn't anti-ladies. He's like, it's men and women, mankind, men. That's just the way we talk, they talked back then. But how did that saying get so popular? I don't think it's just from quoting the Bible because this is not the way the world rolls. There's actually another Christmas story that I'm going to tell you about today. It's really fun but kind of tragic too. It's from 1863. 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a famous American poet, wrote a poem called Christmas Day. I'm sorry, it's called Christmas Bell, and he wrote it on Christmas Day in 1863. Two years into the American Civil War. So things, things were challenged for him, and his life was a, kind of a disaster at the time. At the beginning of the Civil War, so two years before he wrote this poem, Henry Longfellow's wife died a tragic death. She was sealing envelopes with hot wax, you know how they did in that, that in the day, and her dress caught fire. And she ran into Henry and said, didn't say anything, she screamed, and she, he, he tried to get the dress put out, and they got it put out, but she only lasted one night, and she died. Longfellow himself was scarred in the face, and he carried those scars for all of his life, and he became despondent and depressed of the death of his wife. His son, Charlie, was also despondent. And two years into the to the Civil War, he's old enough to enlist, or almost, and, and despite the family not wanting him to do that, he did that because he had begun to reject God. At one point, he said, God is dead. He was so depressed about the death of his mother. And then on December 1st, in that year, 1863, Charlie was shot and almost died. He was almost paralyzed. So in that setting which is disastrous. Your, your wife dies in your arms in, in a fiery ball. Your son almost gets killed in a war. The nation you're living in is in the most horrific war we've ever had in terms of deaths. And in that setting, Longfellow sits down to write this poem. It's seven stanzas. We're going to read it. It's only about a minute and a half for me to read it, so I'm going to read it to you. But notice that every stanza ends with peace on earth, goodwill to men, I want you to notice the ups and downs. It starts joyous Christmas bells, and it gets into depression. Then it ends with the good news of the Bible. And just a quick reading note, because it's old. When he says, each black accursed mouth, he's not talking about black people of the South. He's using personification. He's describing the black cannon barrels of the South. So let's, let's read this poem. It might become a Christmas tradition for you. So... If, you know, I, I long to be in a church that has a fireplace. I don't know about you. That'd be cool. If we had a fireplace, roaring fire, having some hot cocoa, that'd be good. Um, so it should be up on the slide, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it the best I can, but I, I'm not a poet. You guys that know me, I'm the farthest thing from a poet. 
Henry, Lod- Long's- Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Christ- Christmas Bells. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat on, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing, on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then, from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with that sound, the carols drowned, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent, And made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow puts into words what many of us have thought, and many of us, including myself, obviously, are feeling today. You're thinking if Jesus came to bring peace, why do I not have any peace, Jesus? Why is there so little peace in the world? We can relate to Longfellow's words. In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. My wife's been suffering from leukemia for almost five years now. And then on October 26, just a month and a half ago, she got another call, and this time it says, you have uterine cancer. She's had a hysterectomy, and it was successful, and we thank God for that. But the cancer remains, and she's classified as stage three. We found out just Friday that the only treatment is radiation, but they told us there's an 80% chance that the cancer is going to come back. And it'll come back probably within two years. So I'm, I'm here as a man that has no peace and preaching on peace, and that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. But I don't want this message to be about me and Vicky. I want it to be about Jesus and his relationship with you. Because we've had a really tough year, and next year looks really tough. But you, many of you in this room, are having tough years as well. Maybe it's cancer. We know another lady in our church, I'm not going to mention her name because I didn't ask her permission, that also has two cancers. Some of you are having horrible, horrible relational issues. I hate to even bring it up, but some of your marriages are on the rocks. We know that. We know that. Or you have some stress of some kind. You have some work thing of some kind. Or some parent-child or child-parent relationship that is just ripping you apart. So you say, I hang my head in despair. There is no peace on earth. So the question for the day to start is, how do we have peace on earth when many times there is no peace on earth? Well, we always have to start with the Bible, don't we? This is the word of God. This is the truth. In a world that doesn't know what the truth is, this is the truth. Now, we have to interpret it correctly, of course. 
But we could do that. Jose said last week that hope is a squishy word. I love that, by the way, Jose. That was fantastic. This week, peace is a misunderstood word. It's a misunderstood word. By the way, to help with the Advent series, the Bible Project has four theme videos on all these four words, and I encourage you to go look at it. But in the Bible, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. The Greek word for peace is arene. And the, the key concept to understand about biblical peace, shalom, is that it's complete. It's whole. If you watch that video, they're going to have a brick wall, a picture of a brick wall. And when all the bricks are lined up and stacked in order, you have shalom. You take one brick out and you no longer have shalom. You see, in the Bible, peace is a much richer connotation than in English. Peace, shalom, it's different than peaceful. Now, now don't get me wrong, I like peaceful. Peaceful beach, peaceful park, peaceful people. Some of you, just your personalities are, are peaceful. And that peaceful is good. But you could be in a peaceful park, sitting on a bench with a peaceful person, watching a peaceful sunset and have no shalom. Does that make sense? An example in modern day is right now, Russia and Ukraine are fighting each other. They're at war. And if war were to stop, we might say in English, they're at peace. But as long as they still hate each other, there's no shalom. See, shalom is this complete, multidimensional peace. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace within yourself. Last week, Jose shared out of Isaiah 9, 6, that Jesus is the prince of peace. But I look around and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of waiting if God the Father is going to give Jesus a pink slip for failing at his job. Because I don't see peace a lot. There's war. There's division. There's conflict. There's anxiety. Something's off. And yet Luke 2 says the angels come to announce the birth of Jesus and there's peace on earth. But we need to understand that the path to that peace, the path to peace on earth, is a battle. It's a full-on battle between light and darkness. Now, before I depress you even more, because I can see it in your eyes, like, wow, this is a bummer. There is a day when there will be no darkness. When Jesus returns, there will be complete, total shalom. Not only will there be no more cancer, There'll be no more hospitals. I long for that world. But in the meantime, we live in a world full of darkness and evil. But it's into this world of darkness and evil that Jesus crashes in as a baby. I mean, God comes up with some pretty cool stories, doesn't he? He comes as a baby. And they go, oh, that baby is a savior. He's a messiah. And he's a prince of peace. And the shepherds are like, Wow. So how do we find peace on earth when there is darkness and evil all around us? That's our, that's our challenge for the day. How does Vicky, by the way, honey, you're watching on live, on live, online, live. I love you. She has a head cold and she said, I can't cough all the way through your sermon. How does Vicky find peace during chemotherapy and upcoming radiation? How do we find peace in whatever battle you have, whatever battle I have, how do I find peace? Peace, how, how, how do we do this? The first place to start is this. We have to understand that peace is a gift. 
Peace is a gift. It's a gift from Jesus. We read in the Gospels all over the place, but here's a key simple passage. John 14 says, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I'm going to give you peace. I can't think of a better Christmas present than the gift of peace. But Jesus is a realist, isn't he? Because that was in John 14. In John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Understatement of the millennium. You will have trouble. And we hate it. And we say something's wrong. And you're right. Because trouble is not shalom. Shalom's coming Complete shalom's coming at the return of Jesus. But for now, Jesus says it perfectly. You will have trouble and I will give you my peace. How does he do this? A deep theological moment for those who like this. Colossians 1.20 says Jesus made peace. Jesus actually manufactures peace. Well, how does he do it? What are the widgets of manufacturing peace? Colossians 1.20 says... Jesus made peace through his blood, shed on the cross, peace that comes from sacrifice. You've probably noticed if you read the, the Bible, everything's upside down. The first will be last. The last will be uh, first. Whoever wants to be great needs to be the least. And that, this is another one of those. Peace comes from sacrifice. And notice that Jesus says it's my peace because he's the source of peace. He is the prince of peace. He doesn't get a pink slip. He actually is the source. He's the one that manufactures it through his sacrifice. But our question still stands, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he gives us his peace, why don't I have peace? How do we practically live when there's darkness all around us? Because the, the world is divided. You see that every day. There's good, there's evil, there's light, there's dark. For Longfellow, it was Christmas joy of the bells and the joy of the Christmas season versus the death of his wife his son who's gone off a bit, and obviously the Civil War. I mean, he's living in a war in his own country. For Vicky and me, for me, it's the, it's the joy of the grandchildren. The joy of the Christmas tree with all the ornaments on the bottom versus the evils of cancer. And I will tell you this, cancer is evil. I hate it. But what's your battle? What's your battle that's robbing you from peace today? As I prayed this week, I asked the Holy Spirit that when I say this, that something pops into your mind. And whatever popped into your mind for the rest of this message, I hope you think about that and process how do I battle this thing that's robbing my peace. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's inner family relationships. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's finances. There's so many things we could talk about, Right? And we need to know that this is a battle because Satan, the evil one, wants to rob you of your peace. Revelation chapter 6 verse 4 says this, and it's about the four horsemen. It's the second horse is the red one. And Revelation 6 4 says, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. Now, I don't like that verse. Rarely gets quoted that this is a weird day. I hate the fact that God allows this to happen. But I'm not God. I just read this morning in, in my quiet time, Matthew 13, 
And there's a beautiful, simple parable of there about the wheat and the weeds. And for a time, the wheat, that's disciples of Jesus, and the weeds, that's the evil world, are going to grow together. And that's the world we live in. God, in his wisdom, has somehow allowed now to have us coexist. But since Jesus gives us peace, it's a gift How do we receive it? How do we actually receive this gift? And here's the thing about gifts. You guys all know this. That just just getting the gift doesn't really do anything. What do you have to do? You have to unwrap it. You have to take it out of the box. You have to use it. This Christmas, for sure, one of my grandkids will get a gift, unwrap it, and play with the box. That's what little kids do. We can't do that. We got to stop playing with the box. We actually have to take the gift and use it. Jesus said, my peace I give you. We need to take the gift and unwrap it. It might be a battle. Satan wants to rip the gift right out of your hands. You might be in the middle of unwrapping this gift. You might get close and he's trying to try to rip it right out of your hands and don't let him. Because you have the Holy Spirit and you will win that battle. So I want to look the rest of our time one last example. Because not, praise God, not everybody in the room has cancer. Praise God, not everybody in the room has marriage relationship issues. But everybody in this room, I believe, has struggled with some form of anxiety at some time or another. So we're going to talk about that for just a little bit because it's common to all of us. And anxiety can come from almost any relationship. It could become in your marriage, it can come with your kids, it comes from a friend. It could just it comes from everywhere. And for some people it's occasional. And for some people it's debilitating. And as I've said before up here, if, if you are in that state, you really, really need to seek help. The first place is the prayer in the back. When we do uh, communion and the songs at the end go right to those chairs and back and talk to somebody. Share your pain with a brother or sister. And some will need to go get professional counseling. I am not that. We don't, as far as I know, we don't have anybody on staff that's trained in that. But there are many, many people in our community that love Jesus and are there to help you. And if that's you, don't delay. And God forbid you have suicidal thoughts this Christmas. I'm speaking real here, obviously, today. If you have suicidal thoughts this Christmas, call the suicide hotline. Don't ignore it. Don't let Satan win that battle. Our culture can be a culture of stress and depression. Drug use is on the rise. And Christmas is a time where sometimes anxiety comes out. And Christians also struggle with anxiety. Just because you're a a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to have it. And Jesus himself said you're going to have troubles, including in that is anxiety. I find it interesting that Kindle reports the most highlighted passages and the books they sell, including the Bible. And I didn't talk to Ira and his wife and Olivia. That verse that Olivia quoted is the most highlighted passage in the Bible. Not John 3.16, this, it's going to be on the screen. And I, trust me, we did not compare notes. I was sitting down there going, oh my goodness. Here's the verse, Philippians 4, 6, 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God and the peace of God, that's what we're talking about today, and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now let's be real. When you read that, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you, like me, say, no way that's impossible? Come on, be honest. Some of you are being honest. Because you don't want to say, oh, that's what the Bible says. I'm not disagreeing with the Bible. I'm just saying that for the last four or five months, I've struggled with this. And Todd Newell, my good friend here, I've known Todd for, what, 20 years? We meet with a group of men every, most Thursday mornings. And we've been talking about this verse. And I said a few months ago, I said, guys, I don't think this verse means what everybody thinks it means. Because there's no way. Here's my best don't be anxious story. Vicky, in the middle of all of her chemo, the doctor said, hey, good news. Your chemo, which is normally in infused through her veins, is available in an oral pill. Vicky is excited. I don't have to go into the clinic five days a week, every six weeks to get chemo in my veins. I could just take a little pill at home while we drink coffee and watch a show. Awesome. So she does that on a Monday morning. Two hours later, she starts vomiting. Every 15 minutes for three hours and it won't stop. So we go to the ER and spend five hours there and they finally get it to stop. Thank you to the doctors. They gave us Tuesday off. <laughs> then Wednesday they said, you know, we want you to try that again. But we're going to give you different pre-meds. Maybe that'll work. So here we are Wednesday morning and we've got this little tiny white pill that caused massive problems two days ago. Different pre-meds. Okay, honey, here's your pill. If at that moment in time, you who know Vicky, if I had said, Vicky, be anxious for nothing. Just pray. She would have smacked me. <laughs> She's from Virginia. Sometimes I'm not that gentle. <laughs> you see, I, I'm tired of Christian platitudes. And that would be a de definition of a Christian platitude. Christian platitude, it's a truth. The verse is true. It is true, but doesn't help at a certain point in time. Adam Grant, a psychologist, says it this way. In hard times, people don't want to be told to look on the bright side. They want to know you're on their side. The best way to support others is not to cheer them up. It's to show up. Just show up. Just be there. I said that was my second best don't be anxious story. Some of you are guessing the first, the best. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, praying. The disciples are sleeping, but he's praying. He's praying to the Father. Do you think he was anxious? He sweat blood. He sweat blood. He was anxious. So what did Paul mean by this verse? Well, Max Licato, who is an interesting author because he writes about a book a week, it seems like. Uh, I'm told he's a fantastic guy. I, I don't read a lot of his books, but I read this book because it's titled Anxious for Nothing. I'm researching what does this verse mean. If you struggle with anxiety, buy it, read it. It's simple, but it's good. He says that Paul is addressing an ongoing anxiety, a perpetual anxiety, a state of a mind that is constantly anxious. He's not addressing anxiety for a moment in an event like oral chemo 
or going to the cross. Here's a quote from his book that might help. He says this, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Brothers and sisters, if you're living in the prison of anxiety today, your Christmas gift is the peace of Jesus. There is no way Vicky could possibly not be anxious about taking that pill unless she was brain dead. There's no way Jesus wasn't going to be anxious of thinking about the most painful death the Romans could come up with. And not only painful, but shameful. He was anxious for the moment. But Vicky, Jesus, you, me, none of us have to live in the prison of anxiety. This is really a big part of the gospel. We need to receive and unwrap the gift, Jesus' gift of peace with constant prayer, with constant thanksgiving. It's a peace that makes no sense. It's a peace that guards our hearts and our minds. And most importantly, it's a peace that wins the battle between good and evil. I'm almost done, but if you pick up the, the book by Max Licato, you're gonna find out he's, he's a little old school. But since I'm 62, I like to say old school is good school. There's some wisdom in this book. On the slide, you'll see an acrostic that he came up with. It's calm. And Olivia mentioned calm when she was talking up here with Ira and, and uh, his wife. And calm is the acronym, the acrostic. C is celebrate God's goodness. A is ask God for help. L is leave your concerns with God. And M is meditate on good things. And Licato talks about this isn't just individually. This is as, as a community, as a group. Together we do this. And I'm going to use that acrostic just to give you a couple more thoughts. And then we're going to go to a time of worship and take communion together. C is celebrate God's goodness. The verse before that most quoted verse is actually also famous. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. And in Todd and I's men's group, Doug Rathke, another good friend of mine, he said he thinks that's the most important phrase in this whole section. The Lord is near. And I think, I think Doug is right because the end of the passage, Philippians 4, 9, which is after what we call, quoted, says, the God of peace is with you. The Lord is near. God is with you. Brackets all of this. Dave Hughes, friend of mine in this group, pastor at Westside, he's had a special needs child for 30 years. She's beautiful and she's a joy, but it's, it's a battle. And now his wife also has cancer. And it's just hard. But Dave, in all the wisdom I think that he could possibly muster, said to me, this is what I think it says, no presence, no peace. You don't have the presence of God, you're not going to have the peace of God. In a second, we're going to sing this song and here are the words. I want to just read them to you and so you can hear them so that when we sing this song, you can pray it. It says, In the valley I know that you're with me. And surely your goodness and your mercy, they follow me. So my weapons are praise and thanksgiving. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, obviously speaking, Jesus. A is ask God for help. And it, if, when it seems like God's not answering, you ask again. 
and again and again. It's like the movie Miracle, the hockey movie, when he's having to do drills. Again, again, again. When I was in the business world, the sales coaches used to say, real sales start when the client says no. I've stolen that and have applied it to my prayer life. Real prayer starts when God says no. He said no to me for five, almost five years to heal my wife, Vicki. And Vicki, I am not going to stop praying for that. I am not. Because I see stories in the Bible of people that are in pain for even longer. I don't know why God waits. Is it okay to be angry with God? Absolutely. David seems to be. Psalm 10 is the easiest one. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It's all over the Psalms. Why, Lord? How long, Lord? But we have to be careful because Paul says, be angry and do not sin. We can't blame God because he's the blameless one. He's the righteous one. He's the holy one. But when I don't understand God, I'm going to express my anger with him because why not? He knows I'm angry. He knows I'm angry. So we talk it over. Ellis, leave your concer- our concerns with God. I need to share you. For me, this is the hardest. This is the hardest one for me. Other ones might be hard for you. For this one, me, this, this is just hard. It's important and it helps me to notice the order. This comes after prayer. And by, by the way, the verse says, pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. I might convict some people a little bit too much right now, but how many of you pray, wait for the answer, then when it's what you want, then you say thanks. It's not what the verse says. It says pray with thanksgiving. In my experience, when we leave our concerns and worries, which are the enemy of peace, when we, when we leave them, something has to fill that void. Because the way God created us, our minds are very active. They're always working. Even when we're sleeping, our minds are working. So if you get rid of a worry and anxiety, you need to fill that void with something. Otherwise, Satan will. Don't let him. So what do you fill it with? And meditate on good things. The peace that Jesus gives. Philippians 4.8 is the next verse after that popular one. I'm going to read this to you. It's not on the screen. Sorry. But think about any newscast, any social media post, any anything that's this. Meditate on good things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. That is a verse to take home. For Christmas. And I think to be successful about on meditating on good things, we have to make it a habit. We have to make it a habit. You heard testimony before the, the, I came up here about how they have a habit of being with God in the morning. And that might be your habit or it might be a different habit. Uh, I've been reading this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and he explains there that small habits, that's where the term atomic habits come from. Small habit changes compound over time. And he has this recommendation. If you want to start a new habit, if you want to start a new habit, this is how you do it. He calls it a two-minute drill. You do something for two minutes each day 
over time and eventually it'll become a habit. What if we spend two minutes each day thinking about the good things of God over this season of Advent? I'm gonna ask the band to come forward and um, I don't wanna delay. I want you to start receiving the gift of Jesus right now. Why not? Why wait? Satan wants you to wait. He wants to steal it from you, but why not now? One of the ways you might do this is as the band starts singing, you can go to the back and pray with somebody. But this Christmas season, continue receiving and unwrapping the gift of peace. It's, it's a gift that Jesus wants to give us. He really, really wants to give it to you. John 10 says, I come that my, you might have joy and have it abundantly. This is one of the things that's included in it. Even when we say, why, Lord, and how long, Lord, life is a battle, but we could sing this song. Here's some of the words. I'm going to introduce this song to you a little bit, and then we're going to stand and sing it together. And then after the song, Casey's going to tell you to go get the cup and, and the bread. But the song, you may not like it. You may love it. You may think it's too repetitive. You might think, you, who knows? The words are what's important. Listen to the words of this song. It says, there is a table that you've prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. And what is this table? It's your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. As the band sings that in just a moment, make that your prayer. Begin to receive, begin to unwrap the gift from Jesus. See, because communion is a time of remembering what Jesus did for us and proclaiming his death, actually. That's what the Bible says, to proclaim his death. Why do we proclaim his death? Because his death is victory. Jesus' death is victory. Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated the evil one by dying. It's such an upside-down upside story, but it's the truth. Because Jesus made peace, he manufactured peace, he put it together for us through his blood shed on the cross. Let's stand and I'll pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, you know that I'm hurting. You know that my wife Vicki is hurting, but more importantly, Lord, you know that many in this body are hurting. Many in this body have a battle they have a battle, and we want you to win the battle, Lord. You want, we want you to win the battle with your gift of peace. As we sing and give praise to you, Lord Jesus, may people realize that you are the gift. You are the Prince of Peace.